0: I've really enjoyed the preaching the last few weeks, uh, hearing Yvonne and Athena. And uh, really today I think is sort of like a bit of a follow on or a wrap up of what's been going on the last few weeks. But I love, once again, I always say it, but I love how the Holy Spirit works through every gift and personality and experience and really brings something together, equipping the saints of Jesus Christ and people being matured and growing in Christ. And I I love that, that God's maturing his church through people, through broken people, people that have put up their hand and said, I'll do it, Lord. <laughs> I'll preach, Lord. I'll do it. And, and God using that and increasing the knowledge of, of those that are here and uh, being able to grow and mature so that we're not only glorifying God with our words, but with our actions as well. And as I was thinking about transformation and, and reflecting and preparing on my message uh, during the week, I felt the Holy Spirit leading me to the to the book of John, the gospel, the end of John, the last chapter. Um, and I've read the book of John so many times over the years. I've been a Christian for 20 years, nearly 17 years. Uh, but this time, the last chapter got my attention. I think in light of, you know, the journey that we're on, it really made me focus there. You see, like, the, the, the gospels, there's the four gospels, Mark, Matthew, Luke, and John. And uh, they all get to a crescendo at the end. They get to a climax at the end, where you know Jesus uh, gets to his death, he's buried, uh, he's resurrected, and he's glorified, and and he's walking around talking to disciples, so there's evidence that Jesus is actually Christ, the Messiah, the the chosen one, the God Himself. And uh, but with John, it's a little bit different. Um, You know, he, he fulfills the purpose of the gospel. The Bible says that the purpose of the gospel that he wrote was to show the world that Christ is the Mes- Jesus is the Christ, the Messiah. And he proved that through his, his story and what you read. And, um, but John, he's got another chapter after that one. All the other ones, you, you read them and they're like, and Jesus commissioned them, go therefore make disciples in the name of the Father, the Son and the Holy Spirit, and then he ascended to heaven. But John had another chapter straight after. Like, very interesting. When I was reading, I didn't know why I, I was starting to read it. But, I mean, why Why would John, I asked, and I've uh, been studying the last few years and studying theology, they make you ask a lot of questions, and which is really good. So I thought, why would John continue to write another chapter? Why, would, why, why wouldn't he stop at the climax of of what he was trying to achieve? I mean, the at the end of John 20 he says that these things that are written is to show you the evidence of Christ but then he goes again but not only that he writes about Peter out of all people that denied him three times I mean if you're going to write about anybody write about someone that did good maybe John write about yourself John (laughs) you know that you stood by Jesus' side and you didn't deny him three times why did he do that? I mean, do you really need to write another chapter? Could we, could we not have just ended with Christ glorified? That would have been great, you know? Why do we need to end with Peter? Can't we just go straight to the next book of Acts? It would have been great. The next book after John is Acts in the Bible. And in the book of Acts, you see Peter, mate, he is courageous. The, the Holy Spirit comes. He is bold, declaring, you know, the word of God. People are being saved every day, coming to Christ. But there's a reason why John wrote about Peter. And there's some things that I want to take away, I want us to take away today in this encounter with John uh, chapter 1, uh, 21, sorry. I don't have time to go through all of it, um, but the, the first part of it was quite powerful. See, when you see, it, you see that Jesus here ascended and the Spirit came. So that was, we all, we all know that Jesus went to heaven, the Holy Spirit came in the book of Acts, we saw that. And the disciples, they had a mandate to preach the gospel. They had a mandate to spread the gospel. Um, They had a mandate to bring the gospel forward and and preach it to the known world. But the story of Christ had a potential to not be spread. It had a potential of these disciples not spreading the gospel. There was a a rule, you know, I guess, a risk of that happening. And uh, it would have just been another memory or a moment in history had these disciples not carried out the will of God over their lives and the purpose of God and actually spread the gospel. And it's a very subtle trap that we can fall into ourselves. See, after witnessing the fullness of God, after the disciples watching and seeing Jesus died, buried, crucified, risen again, and walking with them, what did they do? Look at what they did. In John 21, verse 1 to 2, it says After this, Jesus revealed himself again to his disciples by the Sea of Tiberius. He revealed himself in this way Simon Peter, Thomas called Twin, Nathanael from Cana of Galilee, Zebedee's sons, and two others of his disciples were together. See, these were men, they're all, all these men that was named here, they're all the, the disciples that were in the fishing business. And uh, they're all called the Galilean fishermen. Everybody knew them. And, uh, and then in John 21, 3, we see Peter say, I'm going fishing. He's like, hey, I'm going fishing. Sounds pretty easy, right? It's like, what's wrong with recreation? I, I mean, I like going fishing. What's wrong with a little bit of recreation here? It's okay. I mean, they've, they've just traveled to Jesus for three years. Come on, give them a break. Let them just go fishing, you know. And everyone deserves a rest, right? Well, that's not what was happening in this case in particular. Because the Lord told them, Jesus told them in Matthew 28:16, the 11 disciples traveled to Galilee, to the mountain where Jesus had directed them. So Jesus directed these guys to the mountain. But these guys went fishing. Praise the Lord. But instead, Peter, in an impulsive reaction, you know, impulsive as it was, we know the story of Peter and and what he did, he decides to go back to his former life. And being the leader that he is, he takes everyone along with him. They follow him. Look, John 21, 3. We're coming with you, they told him. We'll come. They went fishing. They didn't go to the mountain. Just the way Jesus directed them. In the original Greek, the text, when Peter said, I'm going fishing, there was a finality to it, meaning that was a finishing statement. He wasn't intending on coming back. He wasn't intending on following Christ. He was intending to go back to his former way of life. Praise the Lord. I'm getting a bit excited already. Only on page three, oh my God. It's all good. See, they weren't just going to the Sea of Galilee to get a few rods on the side of the water when you normally go fishing, right? They were on their commercial fishing boat. They went to the fishing boat. They, they went with ready with nets. Has anyone ever gone fishing with nets? I, I never have. I mean, I've gone on commercial fishing boats, but... You know, I pay, and you've got to throw a line in, right? And they were about 100 meters off the shore. Have you ever stood at the end of a football field and looked the other way? About 100 meters. Like, that's quite far. You know, Peter took off his outer garment. It shows that, you know, showing that he was ready for work. He was ready to get back to business. So why does Peter do this? Why did he go back to his former way of life instead of continuing and obeying the instruction of the Lord for him. Didn't he just witness the transformation power of God? Didn't he just witness the resurrection power of God? Man, did he, he saw, and he saw the risen Christ, Christ twice. He actually saw Jesus two times after he, he was risen. But yet, yeah, Jesus instructed him go to the mountain. And wait for me there and I'll instruct you. He turned. He turned away. You see, the answer is pretty simple when you start thinking about it more intently. See, Peter went back to his former way of life because he had absolutely no confidence in himself. He was a proven failure to himself. One minute serving the Lord, confessing, I will die with you, Lord. I'm coming with you. You know when you're worshipping God and you're like, God, take me. I'll do whatever you want. I'll do it now. You know? <laughs> Just do it. Just take me now, Lord. I'll come with you to the ends of the earth. He made it may one minute doing that, to the next minute denying Christ in the face of death, saying one minute saying, God, I will follow you to the death. But the next time round, when that chance came, he ran. He denied christ three times peter had overestimated himself he overestimated his own confidence and strength he overestimated temptations willpower he overestimated his own wisdom and that led him to his ultimate betrayal peter sees the lord in all of his glory jesus appears to him twice he then tells him to go back to the mountain and wait for my instructions and at that point, he feels that sense of shame, self-doubt, right? A sense of failure, a sense of inadequacy, feeling weak within himself. Man, I denied him three times. It must have been hard, eh? You know when you feel like you betrayed the Lord, you're like, oh, man, I feel so bad, God. I'm so sorry. He wasn't even sure where he stood with the Lord anymore. He wasn't sure, right? Probably thinking, I'm a complete failure. I don't deserve to follow Christ. God, you gave me a chance, but I failed you. I failed you, God. I'll go back to what I know. I'll go fishing, gonna go back. Aren't we like that sometimes? Aren't we like that? When we sin, when we do things we shouldn't be doing, when we disobey God, when we feel guilty. I need two hands for this one. We don't know where we stand with God. It's like we're just bewildered. When we face that conviction of the Holy Spirit, it's like, oh, that hurt. We see our own weaknesses. We think that we can do it. We think, God, I'm all right, I can do it. But bang, your weaknesses are in your face. We become insecure. We see all of our ugly, all of our guilt. Like, oh man, I don't want to look at that. I'm out of here. Turn away. And in all of our guilt, all of our fears, even our in our own self preservation we turn away from the Lord don't we we could still look like we're Christians but in our hearts we've turned away instead of facing our weaknesses and depending on God we take that step back put our head in the sand it's too painful to face it I'm so embarrassed we prefer not to deal with it not the stuff that people have seen the stuff that you know like Yvonne said God sees everything he knows everything. Peter the apostle he went through exactly the same experience. It was too painful to face his weakness and shame, so he went back to his former life. So let's continue. John twenty-one four to five. When daybreak came, Jesus stood on the shore, but the disciples did not know it. Did not know it was Jesus. Friends, can you imagine yelling out, "Friends!" from hundred meters, friends. Don't you have any fish? Hey! And they're going, Who is this bloke? Man, you ask, that's insulting. No! Get, get out of here! No fish. Don't they know we're experienced fishermen? How can he be asking me that? Come on. And they carry on their thing. Jesus screams it out again, they go back, Hey, cast your net on the right side, on that side, that side. What, you believe this black? What's he doing? What is he doing? These experienced fishermen, they knew their trade. They knew what they were doing. And some random guy, or supposedly random guy, is trying to tell them what to do. It's like, I mean, they haven't moved. The boat hasn't shifted. They're still in the same spot, all right? Why would, it, why would it be different now if I throw it on the right side? I wonder why. Why would it be different? We've been working all night. But I guess they thought, we've got nothing to lose. Throw the tent. Why not? Oh, sorry, the net. John 21, 6. It says, oh, sorry. Uh, where am I up to? John 21, 6b. So they did. And they were unable to haul it in because of the large fish. Man, how did that happen? How did that happen? What a miracle. What a miracle. John twenty one seven, the disciple, the one Jesus loved, they love it that John doesn't write about his own name, he doesn't put his own name. I mean if I was writing the book, I'd be going, the one Jesus loved. I mean he can't change it. <laughs> the disciple, the one Jesus loved, said to Peter, It is the Lord. When Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he tied out his he tied his outer garment, the one that he took off around him, for he had taken it off, and plunged into the sea. At least Peter, this time, turned to the Lord and, and ran or swam to, to the Lord. Not turned away. At least he saw that. Since they were not far off from the land, about 100 yards away, about, around about 100 meters, the other disciples came in the boat, dragging the net full of fish. And typical of Peter, just impulsive. He jumps in. you got like a whole boat full of fish. You don't even help your friends. You're, it was your idea here. I mean, why didn't you help him? Anyway, verse 9. When they got out on, on land, they saw a charcoal fire there with fish lying on it and bread. Bring some of the fish that you've just caught, Jesus told them. So Simon Peter, uh, Simon Peter climbed up and hauled the net ashore, full of large fish, 153 of them. Even though there were so many, the net was not torn. A miracle catch on those nets. A miracle catch. And that was a huge lesson for Peter and his disciples. See, for Peter and disciples, Jesus in Matthew 4, 9, 10 said, you will now fish for men. You are no longer fishers of fish. You will now fish for men. That was their purpose. That was their calling. Jesus was making that point. The point was that Peter can't catch fish anymore. Because Jesus has called him to catch men. The miracle of the fish made them realize that God controls all things. God controls everything. He is all-powerful. He is all-knowing. God is sovereign. God is ever-present. He sees all things. He knows all things. And we forget sometimes in every situation, in every scenario, whether at work, at home, at church, that God is in control. We forget that sometimes. You can run and hide away in shame, feeling guilty for your weaknesses and your responses. We can go back to our former way and hide, come up with whatever excuse we have and whatever excuse we can come up with to turn away from God in our hearts. But Peter and his disciples, they weren't at peace. They didn't get what they wanted. God was in control. And he got peace when God came into their lives and they turned back to him and they turned back to the calling and they turned back to what God had for their lives. See, we will never be at peace unless we fulfill the purposes and call of God in our lives. And the Bible says that those that don't follow him will never be in true peace. We don't need the Bible to tell us that. We know that. We see that. Some of us, we've lived that. Job 22.1, he says, agree with God. This guy went through a lot. Be at peace. Thereby, God, good will come to you. I mean, this guy knows. He went through a lot. And a lot of times in our spirits, we know there's no peace outside of God's will. And outside of his purposes. But still we try. We try. We think, well the rest of the world is okay. Look at them, they're doing alright. they got all the riches. they got everything. they got everything that they need. Proverbs 16.40 says, The Lord made everything for its purpose. Even the wicked for the day of trouble. God is in control. God is in control. Many people put so much effort Here on earth, mostly to be successful, mostly to live a comfortable life, a luxurious life full of pleasures, all the desires life can bring. Look at Instagram, Facebook, it's everywhere. It's everywhere. But is that it? Is that really it? Really? Is that what we'll put on this life to do? Really? I mean, work all of our lives? Live a comfortable life? End up in our little home and die? Is that really what our life is all about? God formed you. He made you with a greater purpose than that. Glory to God that they didn't catch fish on that day. Glory to God. Because you know what? They went back to their former way of life and it would have sucked. (laughs) Am I allowed to say that? I think I'm allowed to say that. (laughs) But glory to God that they turned back. Glory to God that Jesus withheld the fish, said, hey, sons, daughters, you come and fulfill my purpose and my will that I've called you. You watch. You will be at peace. That peace that nothing in this world will ever give you. Nothing. Praise the Lord. I'm getting happy. Yeah, God's good. God's good. God loves you. He knows you. God made you. He has a plan for those that he calls. I love the reality of, of God that David wrote in, in Psalm 139. I mean, I'm reading only 13 to 16, but I encourage you to go and read it. it before he goes there, he's, he says, God, if I, if I go to the mountains, you're there. If I go to the heavens, you're there. If I go to hell, you're there. I, 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 you're everywhere, God. You're everywhere. Then he then he has this reality in, in verse 13. For you created my innermost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful and I know that full well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made. In the secret place, when I was woven together in the depths of of the earth your eyes saw my unformed body all the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be wow glory to god that's so good that is so comforting that is so comforting your life was designed by god your days have been ordained by him oh praise the lord yes you have free will God gave us free will. He gave us free will to choose a path that leads to life, an eternal life in the presence of God. Or we can choose a life that is living away from God, that leads to eternal death. Our choice. It's your choice. You choose. And I encourage you to choose life. Choose life. Don't fool yourself. You'll only live in true peace when you live according to God's purpose and design for your life. Whatever that purpose might look like for you, maybe not God's not calling you to full time ministry, that's okay. That's not what I'm saying here. But whatever the purpose of God and the call of God that He has for you, are you glorifying Him? Are you glorifying Him? Are you representing Christ at home? at work at church or are you denying him are you being a good Samaritan as events said are you living with the authority of God and obedience to him as Athena said last week Here somewhere maybe outside are you living a life worthy of your calling as Ephesians 4.1 said don't kick against God follow his will and his purposes for your life let's be real come on Let's be real. Will you be at peace? God knows all things. God says all things. Don't kick up a stink against God. You're only hurting yourself if you do. All right, let's go back to Peter's experience. It's a time. Okay, doing all right. I'm just halfway. <laughs> okay, so John 21 12 to 14. Jesus said, Come and have breakfast. Isn't that powerful? they betrayed Jesus. And he goes, come and have breakfast. Not bad. What what do you do to people that betray you? Usually. Don't have breakfast to them, that's for sure. (laughs) Jesus told them, none of the disciples dared to ask him, who are you? Because they knew it was the Lord. Jesus came, took the bread and gave it to him. Not only did he invite them, he served them. They betrayed him. He did the same with the fish. This was now the third time that Jesus appeared to the disciples after he was raised from the dead. Isn't that powerful? When you realize that despite your shortcomings, despite your sinful behaviors and your actions and your sin, even after betraying the Lord the way that Peter did and even the other disciples did, the Lord still invites you. He loves you. He forgives you. And He still provides everything you need, like He did the 153 fish. The Lord is even Lord over the fish. See, I don't know what conversation they would have had at this breakfast, but man, I would imagine it would be so intense. It would be so intense. I could only imagine. There's a few apologies, that's for sure. A few apologies. A few like... Sorry, Lord, I made a mistake. You were gone, waiting. We didn't know if you were going to come back, Lord. I'm so sorry. I didn't know. We did not, Peter, they didn't blame Peter. That's good. You've got to learn that I used that message another day. We all ran, Lord. We're so sorry. We all scattered. We all fled. The only one was John. We're all guilty of defecting. I'm so sorry, God. I'm really sorry. We're all weak. We all failed. We just thought, well, we're not a fish. We'll just go back and fish. They went back to the former life. But the Lord forgave. And the Lord started a restoration process with Peter. You think that God will find and start looking for replacement disciples. Honestly, like that's how bad they were. Can you imagine... You know, seeing an application form for a, for a pastor or a minister, and it's like, betrayed the Lord three times. I ran, I was scattered. Would you hire him or her? I don't think so. You would think that, you know, after three years with him, after seeing this guy preaching, healing people, the crucifixion, the resurrection... He's alive, talk to him, like two, three three times now. And they still ran away, scared, traumatized. But instead, God still chose to work with a a bunch of rejects, misfits, defective people. And I'm glorifying God because thank God he's done that because he can use us. (laughs) We have hope. So how does Jesus restore the hurt, broken, disobedient disciples? How does he do it? How does God recover his believers for usefulness again after all of these things? It must take years to restore. It must take a long time. It must be a long, drawn-out process. Professional counselors, not to to dismiss that at all, or medical treatments. How does Jesus restore a person who has been lost, lost hope, faith? How does he even restore a believer who has lost passion and love for the Lord? And a desire for him. How does God restore a believer? Jesus asked one simple question. Do you love him? Do you love him? That's all he needed to ask. Do you love Jesus? There's a lot about counseling, biblical counseling, book strategies. But how does Jesus do it? Do you love Jesus? Very simple. In John twenty-one fifteen, Jesus said, When they had eaten breakfast, Jesus asked Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Do you love me more than these? He always asks the, uh, uh, the question for a believer that is turned away from him. And he goes straight for the heart. No fluffing around, man. Just go straight for the heart. Do you love me? more than these Jesus wasn't referring to he wasn't talking to Peter about these other disciples because these other disciples they also betrayed him, he's not going do you love me more than these disciples he's not saying that he's saying do you love me more than your former life do you love me more than the nets the hooks, the weights the boat, do you love me than all the things that you have do you love me Do you love Jesus? Do you love Jesus? Do you love him more than these? Do you love him more than life, the stuff in your life? Or do you make idols in the stuff in your life? Do you love him more than your comfort, your pleasures, your selfishness, your greed, your lust? Do you love him more than your bad habits? Like the outburst of anger, jealousy, gossip. Do you love him more than your inner pride, self-sufficiency. Do you love him more than these? And it's like saying, if anyone will come after Jesus, you need to deny yourself the former things of your life. We see that throughout the whole scripture. Jesus, he used the word agape love. Do you agape me, Peter? Meaning, do you have a sacrificial unselfish type of love for me Peter do you have that praise the Lord I was so convicted when I was preparing this it's so good I love it do you love Jesus more than these do you love Jesus more than anything else in this world Matthew ten thirty-seven. the one who loves a father a mother more than me is not worthy of me the one who loves a son, that's, a, that's a, like provoking. The one who loves a son or a daughter more than me is not worthy of me. Jesus said this. What's he saying? He's saying, if your life, even the life that you've created, more if you love it more than him, if you idolize these things, if you cherish these things more than him, you are not worthy of him. Oh, if you've got a problem, the scriptures, not me, sorry. I'm just preaching the scriptures. So powerful. So powerful. Jesus is saying, do you love Christ enough to deny yourself? God is calling you to love him in a greater way. Love him more than life itself. Seeking and agreeing with his will for your own life rather than your will for your own life. Instead of seeking that will of yours, seek him so that you will experience the fullness of life. Jesus says, if you lose your life, you will gain life. He's not saying, you know, lose your life. Okay, I'm going to get you out of the country and I'm going to put you in a new country. No, 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 no. You're still living the same life, but it, you'll lose your, your, your selfishness. You will t- lose the idolizing of the, of the things in your life. You will lose that cherish, the love, the desires, the pleasures of all the things in this world and you will gain fullness of life because you love him more than everything else and everything else is just an add-on and a bonus and thank you God for it. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. The question you need to ask, do you really love him? It's okay to say it. But do you really? I mean, I'm not saying it in a condemnation kind of way. It's great to reflect and assess where are you really at in your life, in your in your life with God, in your Christianity. Do you really love Him more than your own comfort, more than the former way of life, or do you keep looking back, going, "Oh, it was so good before before Christ. It was so good. I was left alone. It was so good, like the Israelites." They look back, man. They just came out from the, red, the the sea. I mean, they were getting tortured, and they were getting whipped and bashed. They had no freedom. God takes them to freedom, but God goes, "Okay, you got to follow. You follow me. You got to obey me. You love me, obey me." Oh no, no, that's too hard. I, I'm going back. I want to get whipped and cracked over their heads. I I, I want to go work hard. <laughs> It doesn't make sense, hey? It doesn't make sense. It's like the human body just wants to wrap itself in in the selfishness. (laughs) Then Peter, very sorrowful response to Jesus in John 21, 15. Yes, Lord, he said to him, you know that I love you. Peter was broken. (laughs) He was hurt. He was traumatized. He was exposed, man, like he could not hide. He was guilty. Peter says, Lord, I don't agape love you, like self, selfish, unselfish, sacrificial love you, but I, for I love you. I have a brotherly love, brotherly affection for you, God. That's all right. It's some love at least, it's okay. Peter had to be real with where he was. That's a beautiful thing. How foolish would Peter look like if he said, oh yes, Lord, I agape love you yeah really well look what you just did son he had to be real but that was great see I was talking about the sword of the spirit a few weeks back three weeks back he cuts through to the heart It he cuts through the intent It cuts through all of that rubbish and he goes straight to the truth do you really love me do you agape me if you don't that's okay be real with yourself though just be real huh? just be real It's important that we're real with where we're at and our own personal walk with God. If you're hurt and and broken, don't pretend to love God at the highest form, at the highest level. Don't pretend. Be real with your journey. It's okay to be real. It's okay to be real. Admit your weaknesses. And isn't that a blessing that Jesus knows our weaknesses? How good's that? How good's that? It's almost relieving to know that he knows the weakness, but he still loves us. I mean, how many, how many of us are afraid to reveal our weakness to people in case people reject us, right? And then you gotta, you know, in the world, we've gotta create these facades, a beautiful projection of myself. This is me on Facebook. This is me, this is me. How's your life going? Yeah, really good. Okay, but hey, isn't it so relieving that God knows the innermost parts of your heart, that you can be real with Him. How relieving is that? How freeing is that? That you can be real with Him. Jesus says, If your love is real then, John twenty-one fifteen, Feed my lambs, He told Him. Feed my lambs. Really? After all that ridiculous things that Peter done, even the most impulsive disobedience, Jesus puts him right back. Into ministry. With all of our flaws, all of our weaknesses, the Lord knows our heart. He saw Peter's heart. He saw Peter's heart. And he saw how how real that filial love was. He saw how real that imperfect love was. But God said, I'll take that. I can work with that. Beautiful. So good. They ain't love God. It's so good and the next time Peter faced death because he was restored, he did not deny Jesus, he was martyred. I mean, thank God, you know, it was his calling, not ours. (laughs) He lived a life of purpose, spreading the gospel, exactly what God commissioned him to do, leading God's people, fulfilling God's calling until the end of his life. So you might be saying to yourself, well, I don't know if I can live out God's purposes for my life, I'm flawed, man, I'm weak. I'm not perfect, I have trauma, I lack self-confidence, I feel unworthy, I feel like I've lost hope. I really have. Well, ask yourself a question. Do you love Jesus? Do you love Jesus? Jesus can restore your life just like he's restored Peter's life. Do you love Jesus more than these things you have in this life? More than all the distractions that you have around you, and all the things that make you feel important, but are just fluff, gone like events said, gone with the wind, Ecclesiastes. Do you love Jesus more than your comfort, your luxuries, your selfish and sinful desires, your bad habits? Do you believe in God's sovereignty? Do you believe God is in control? Do you trust Him? Do you believe that he has purpose for your life? I sound like a broken record. I love it. It's so good, but it's a good reminder. Hey, hey, come on. Do you believe? Do you love him? Fillet your love. That's okay. Doesn't need to be that perfect unselfish love. But if you do, then feed his lambs. Meaning, be active in your faith. Right? Show it through your genuine actions. Feed my lambs. Just saying to you, do you love Him? Display your love. Not perfect, but show it through your actions. Be active in, in your faith in your Christian journey. Our journey in Christ is not passive. You know, we would have grown up in church. We a lot of us probably did. Um, and, you know, you're, you become a Christian and it's like, okay, you've got to believe in Christ, you've got to believe in Christ. And you, okay, you believe in Christ, now you've got to serve Christ, now you've got to serve Christ. Okay, I don't, I don't feel any power. I mean, I'm serving Him, I'm coming to the church. Okay, now you've got to be baptized with the Holy Spirit, you've got to be baptized with the Holy Spirit. And, and, and so thing, it's like all these things, like, come on, man. Like, what next? What next? Hey, hey, do you love Christ? Do you love Jesus? That's it. That's the one thing that's going to compel you and drive you and push you closer to Christ. There's a Christian process called sanctification. And it simply means aligning your thoughts, your actions, and your heart with God's will and purpose. The renewal of the mind, the transformation of life. It's an active faith. And there's only one way the Bible says that we can be transformed with this active faith. It says in 2 Corinthians 3.18. And we all with unveiled face. How good is that? Unveiled face. Why? Because we can be real with Him. We all with an unveiled face beholding. Man, beholding the glory of God. Not just for the disciples, okay, they saw it. But blessed are those that believe and haven't seen. You can behold the glory of God with an unveiled face are being transformed in the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord, who is spirit. We are transformed individually as a church community and individually, sorry, as we continually glaze, not glaze, gaze on the glory of our God. (laughs) As we put our attention on Jesus, we can glaze over if you like, that's your choice. We can put our attention on Jesus through word, prayer, the conviction of the Holy Spirit as we depend in Christ in all we do, beholding his glory, depending on him, depending and trusting in his sovereignty as we're real with ourselves and with our walk with, with the Lord. Our sanctification, that aligning of our thoughts and our actions is dependent on a relentless pursuit of the knowledge of Christ, that is an active faith, a relentless pursuit on the knowledge of Christ. You know, when you have to buy something, you go online. You're relentlessly looking for it. You're relentlessly looking for that deal. Yeah, comparing on different websites and going, which one's cheap? I don't want to get ripped off. I want to. Relentless, mate. We're relentless. Don't you worry. Hey. Be relentless in your pursuit in the knowledge of Christ, which is actually going to give you life, not fill up your cupboard with something else, or your garage or whatever it might be. Our garage is full of stuff. We've got to get it out of there. <laughs> and there's only one way to do that, and that's through the Word of God, learning His Word, living His Word. Philippians 1.9 says, Our love for God will abound, will abound more and more as we gain knowledge and all kinds of insight the pursuit of Christ it's not it's active faith it's not about serving more or doing more that's just some of the outcomes of our faith but it doesn't start there with the doing 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 doesn't start there don't put the cart before the horse have you ever seen that happen like have you put a a, a, a horse cart in front of the horse and the horse push? no the horse pulls like get the knowledge of Christ get the reality of God to pull you take you and you'll get those outcomes you'll serve, you'll want to serve we get caught up in looking like God's people sometimes doing all the right things but internally not being real. We gotta be real. We gotta be real. The world needs it. We can try in our own strength, in our own willpower, but guess what? You're gonna burn out and fail. Many people have burnt out and failed. Uh, pastors and leaders, 1600, I think it's a month, that either, either burn out, uh, just quit ministry, or, or commit moral failure. 1600 a month. I think that's only in America. That's crazy. We'll burn out and fail when we're trying our own strength to show, Lord, guys, this is me. I'm spiritual. No, hey, who cares, man? Be real. Mate, go old school. Come on. That's beautiful. That's beautiful. Hey, we're Pentecostal in our faith, but we don't have to do the Pentecostal methods. Well, what they teach us, the hoo and all of that, just to make everything look like everything's moving. The lights, great, cool. But what's that doing for you, man? Come on. I'm not, I'm not, doing, I'm not saying dismissing that because, you know, maybe some people need that to engage with God. I'm just happy to read the word of God in silence, personally. I mean, it's great to have co- corporate worship, but as long as it doesn't distract away from worshipping God. <laughs> Anyway, sometimes it's good. See, loving God is the first commandment. Not the second commandment. First commandment. Am I got it right? Yeah, I got it right. It's the first commandment. <laughs> love the Lord with all your mind, your heart, and your strength. You see, our mission is loving God, loving people. But we can't love people if we don't love God. All right. <laughs> And as our church matures and grows in general love for God and general love for people, we need to have that relentless pursuit of the knowledge of Christ, that relationship with Jesus. We need an understanding of His sovereignty, praise the Lord. An understanding that He is Lord of all, He is omnipresent, omniscient. So many beautiful words. He's everywhere. He's everywhere. (laughs) He sees all things, He knows all things, even every thought, intention, every motive. And there's a transforming effect when we pursue the knowledge of God and we gaze, gaze at the glory of Christ. Then we can be obedient to His calling. You In 2018, my life was completely disrupted when the Lord called me to lead this church. I mean, I, I had a comfortable life. It was all right. Didn't have to push too hard. It was all good. Normal life. I was happy to do my part in the church. Volunteer one or two days a week. I even sacrificed a lot of time. We built the church. You know, I ran connect groups. I did all of that. But it was still out of willpower. I was, I was still self-absorbed. It was all about me. I mean, I loved the Lord. Don't get me wrong. I loved the Lord. I loved the Lord. But, you know, it was still, you know, it was still my own will, my own strength. But I was disrupted when the Lord called me. And I obeyed. And now there was peace. Beyond my understanding. I mean, it's beyond my understanding. I mean, it's a lot harder. It's a lot more sacrifice. A lot more of denying of myself. A lot more. But there's still a peace of God. You could be thinking, well, it's too hard. I'm comfortable. Let me enjoy my selfish life. Don't disrupt me, Lord. Don't disrupt me. Don't disrupt me. But are you truly happy? Are you truly at peace? You'll never be at peace if you're not pursuing the purposes of God for your life. Second Corinthians eight twenty one says our purpose is to do what's right. I put it up there. In the sight of the Lord. And there's a I don't think I finished that. Is the Lord is the Lord calling you? Is the Lord calling you? Maybe not so drastic as my story. Okay? But maybe the Lord is calling you to give up something. Maybe calling you to start something. Maybe calling you to help somebody. Do you know that Sydney, I saw that this morning or yesterday, Sydney is the third loneliest city in the world. Man, they reckon it's really hard to make friends. It's true, eh? They're beeping at each other all the time. The lines, coffee lines, and hey, I was there first. I mean, we we'll see that we're not going to talk about it here, but yeah, but you see it all the time. Selfishness. We need more good Samaritans. Thank you, Evan. We need people helping people. We need God's love in the community. People loving people. Maybe He's even calling you to to just to live a clean life. Maybe He's calling you to do that. To be free from your evil, sinful actions. Maybe He's calling you to not be greedy not be so selfish it might be an attitude a belief about yourself or a worldview opinions of others are influencing your mind rather than the word of god what is god calling you to do what is he calling you to do that's your own personal question where have you turned away from the lord in your heart ask yourself that where ask yourself do you love Jesus? Do you love Christ more than these things? We can get so caught up in these things, but we forget the main thing, God's purpose for your life. Where do you need to realign your thoughts? Let's bow our heads right now and reflect and, and just pray. We thank you, Father God. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We are so grateful for your unending love for us. We thank you so much. We are so grateful that in your love you made us with a purpose and a calling. We are so grateful that even though man, we are weak, we are frail, we're not we're not perfect, we've got so many things that are in our way, but yet, Lord, you love us unconditionally and you invite us in at your table we thank you God increase our love for you help us to be real with ourselves and ask do we really love you do we really love you give us the desire to passionately pursue the knowledge of Christ we ask you Lord to help us to love you in truth, in love, in spirit. Help us to want more of you. Help us to be dependent on you, Lord. Help us to see that you are sovereign. You know all things. You see all things. You can see the the thoughts, the intent, the motives of our heart. We thank you that we can be real with you and you still love us so much. We thank you, God, so much. We thank you, Lord. And is there anyone here right now that it's not had a loving relationship with God or first time hearing this? Or it's been, if you've been away for a while and you'd like to reconnect with him, would you pray with me right now? Just all the Bible says that you've got to believe in your heart and confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and your heart will be open to him. Dear Jesus, I believe you Lord. You are Lord over my life. Forgive me of my past. Open my eyes to your truth. Teach me your ways. Teach me to walk with you. Teach me how to love you and love others. Amen.